Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Yo, 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 it's Jesse. Hi, it's Helen here. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. What up, yeah, hell? What up? Tongsan. Tongsan, yeah. Tongsan, yeah. The only Taiwanese way of saying. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. What's up, or, or what are you doing? Tongsan. Or, or how about fuck off? That's yeah, all, I think it's fuck, fuck off as well. Off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because so, remember that yeah. <laughs> with Nai Nai, our grandma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she used to tell us a story when she was traveling to, I think, was it Spain? And she mm-hmm. was at this a jewelry store, and she's yeah. um, hovering around the counter. And there was like yeah. this creepy guy got close to her, yeah. and she didn't know how to respond. And she just yeah, turned so around just said, and shouted, "Tong sa," <laughs> which is like another way of saying like, "What the fuck do you want?" <laughs> yeah, which we love. We love Down Nine yeah. so much. She was like the most like big, full of life kind of yeah. person. Yeah. Larger than life. That's what. That's the white term. Mm. That's what white people say, yeah, right? Yes. Larger yeah, than life. Yeah. Yeah. Tongsa. Um. So Helen, I've been thinking a lot this week about queer mm-hmm. sex. So I went to an event with a great friend of mine on Tuesday night. To, well, we thought it was at the Giant Dwarf, which is like somewhere along Cleveland Street, but it ended up being at 505, or at least the 505 that I What's know, which is a ja- jazz club. Oh, okay. A 505 is like a famous jazz club in okay. Sydney, um, which I don't actually really like. I find that the venue is kind of a bit too small, a bit too weirdly laid uh-huh. out. Anyway, uh-huh. so um, the event was uh, gathering four people who were in the queer community um, talking about... Uh, sex like queer sex okay, and what it means yeah. two of them were transgender um the host was this amazing beautiful warm and kind-hearted intelligent mm-hmm. man called teddy cook and he um led a discussion with tilly lawless who is supposedly a famous instagram influencer oh, sex okay. worker yeah i've never mm-hmm. heard of her and because i'm never on instagram and also felicia fox who is this 20 year old um aboriginal transgender um gender fluid I said I suppose um person Mm -hmm. like an activist and they were so like the moment that my friend and I went into stepped into the venue I just felt immediately safe and comfortable because yeah the audience there were only about 60 of us but the audience um people were just like they just all looked really like so anti-heteronormative mm-hmm. so like yeah. you had people who just like did that. not look clearly they did not look clearly male passing or female mm-hmm. passing like they were somewhere yeah. in between like people with like really awesome haircuts and tattoos and the way that they dressed was always there's just it never it just didn't signal either man mm-hmm. or woman mm-hmm. and 
And also, like, there were a couple of people in front of us. Uh, we were sitting on, like, the the towards the back and... Um, the people in front of us kind of, you know, when you go to an mm-hmm. event, say like the yep. cinemas or you go to a public event and there's usually like a couple who are draped around each other and you know that their drape mm-hmm. signals are there, like they're attached to each other. Yeah, like you know yeah. that they're a couple. Well, like there was this like kind of four five sort of group in front of us who had just had their arms, they had their arms draped around each other like in some sort of like, chain Mm -hmm. and they were all touching each other very intimately and so you didn't know who was with who so you know you just think maybe they were all equally in love with each other you know and I found that really beautiful okay I guess Uh like to to paint Mm -hmm. a very broad brush it looked like they were in a polyamorous relationship you know and it just felt really beautiful in that they shared their love it's not just like you know they Mm -hmm. didn't just think that I could only touch my one person one person yeah so mm-hmm. that was really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But like uh, what we basically, what the panel basically talked about was a lot about um, what it meant to have queer sex and what the difference between queer sex and gay sex mm-hmm. was. And it was just mm-hmm. completely, completely such an eye-opening hour of my life because like I'm the most, like I, I think I'm, I think I'm bi-curious, you know, um, if I use a very, like, general term. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I've never had sex with a woman. I've never even kissed a woman. Like, that's how lame and plastic and Mm -hmm, vanilla I am. mm -hmm. Um, But just the way that they talked about how, like, queer sex is a place where you get to demonstrate parts of yourself that are not wholesome or respectable. And, like, it's, it's where you get to play up the traditional notions of tops and bottoms, you know? Um, and like it just they had this way of mm-hmm. communicating with each other that seemed very lacking in heteronormative sex and it kind of reminded me of okay. you know when a few big weeks ago we were talking about polyamorous relationships and how you and I both said that yep. mm-hmm. um, they seem to be much more advanced only because they were so good at communicating their needs you know and that's what yeah. these and the other one, people need to uh, perceive it yeah. as well. Like, all and, parties and, and, like, need to perceive it, just, it equally. Like, at the, by the end of the night, like, like, they talked about so many things. Like, they talked about, um, like, what the most ridiculous... They kind of shared stories about um, what it meant to be marginalised on apps. Like, there are trans apps and queer yeah. apps and how... Um, uh-huh. Yeah, dating, dating apps. Dating apps. Yeah, yeah and very like marginalised, yeah. Um, like, there's a difference between feeling fuckable and lovable which i really resonated with me mm-hmm. yeah because of course my differences. whole life i've yep. conflated like i made in my head this inextricable link between love and sex and i realized that actually mm-hmm. um in the past when i felt desired by a man it didn't mean that i felt loved at all like they were two completely separate things you know feeling like desirable and feeling loved are two very different mm-hmm. things and i only like have recently discovered yeah. all these things like taking a step away from all these things. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. T- um, Tilly Lawless um, was talking about how she's becoming like more emotionally celibate, which I thought was really interesting. And mm-hmm. she's like, she's saying that she mm-hmm. just doesn't want to be emotionally attached to people because she's realizing that she's forming a habit of only falling in love with addicts. And she said, um, until she breaks that habit of falling in love with addicts, she's just not going to be invested in people emotionally. Um, which I just found like so self-aware. Yeah, it is. I think 
with relationship with other people, you really need to establish a firm relationship with yeah. yourself and like knowing as an what you want. I think we fail to do that, especially for Asians、yeah. and especially for women, because we were taught to only care yeah,、totally. about others before. Yeah, and and our、ourselves. worth in society is measured on how well we accommodate other people, especially exactly men, because men、yes. are the arbiters and the gatekeepers、mm-hmm. of access into every every point of access in across、yeah. society, like any point of access to power,、mm-hmm. I guess, or, or validity, you know. Um, I've just I,、mm. I know I'm rambling a lot、yeah. about this event, and it's just so amazing. Like afterwards,、uh, my friend and I went and had dinner, and we just talked about the event and how, like, neither she nor I are queer identifying, but but we always、mm-hmm. always feel safest whenever we're around queer spaces. Yeah, I know.、Mm. Me too. Like I I feel like especially the past ten、mm. years, or maybe a little bit more. I feel like I can talk. A lot more freely among queer、mm. people, and I feel like I don't. I'm not being judged、yeah. as much. Like that's、yeah. how I feel, and I feel like like you said that there's a safe space, and there's a not so much intimacy that, but you feel like because、um, they're marginalized, and somehow as an Asian woman in a Western country, where I I wouldn't say really marginalized, but there's a. Similar experience yeah. growing yeah. up that you'll feel the similar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what my friend and I were saying. Like, and I, I said to my friend that I felt conflicted because it feels like it sound it can come across as though I'm utilizing that safe space that the queer community have for my own benefit,、mm-hmm. which I'm not at all. Like, I'm completely aware、mm-hmm. of what how that can come across. I guess I'm conflicted in the sense that、mm-hmm. um I want to be able to identify as someone who belongs to that community and yet. I don't eat pussy,、mm-hmm. so technically, I really can't say I'm part of the community because I haven't、mm-hmm. eaten pussy. You know, but you're aware, you're you're self-aware, and you know, and I wouldn't say understand, but you acknowledge their experiences. Well, I just think that they're the ultimate of ultimate people on this planet. Like, I want, I wish everyone was like, I wish the whole world was one giant queer group. But like <laughs> queer space, like the world would be、uh-huh. an infinitely better place if everyone was queer.、Uh-huh. Yeah, I wonder if、yeah. anyone would challenge、I、me on that. I think there's no oppression. Yeah, there's no oppression、um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's no oppression. I remember I was、uh, listening to the other podcast, the Good Gay Pod.、Um, their, their their host Kai was saying that he was reading, was it reading or watching your、uh, YouTube resource?、Um, there was a.、Um, Key opinion leader or influence saying that、um, if you're a gay or lesbian, you should just come out.、Mm. You know, as in everyone should just come out of the closet because、yeah. it will make the whole world happier. Well, yeah, like they shouldn't be oppressed. And I、yeah. think just it'll make a world less lonely. Because I think a lot of、exactly. people feel loneliness in、yeah. their own kind of sense of shame that they need to hide their desires. I mean, mind、mm-hmm. you, when I say like I wish the whole world was one giant. Queer community.、Um, I'm not actually dismissing the fact that there are violent queer people. Like there's violence everywhere. There's、mm-hmm. bad sex everywhere. There's evil people、mm-hmm. everywhere. I just think pedophilia is.、Yeah, well,、like、I wasn't、shit. actually thinking that, but like, because <laughs>、okay. um, I don't associate that with the community at all.、Um, but I just feel like、um, people who have been ostracized by the heteronormative society. Have been better.、Mm. Have had built years and years of skills 
to they've like they built this sort of armor and competency in um one communicating their needs and desires and you know like kind of funneling out a lot of junk and pretension that we often heteronormative society people grow up you know kind of mm-hmm. being um in yeah. embodying um Mm-hmm. One thing I will say before I leave this topic is um, Teddy Cook did mention something that really resonated with me. Not resonated, just like it was very insightful. He said that um, that in in every app that he's been on and in every engagement he's been across, like um, Teddy is a transgender man and he has sex with cis men. And he said mm-hmm. that um, in his experience... Um, cis men have always been the worst when it comes to like treating him in relationships. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like I he will said, agree. like gay men, straight men, queer men, like it's just always cis men who have been like kind of the most disrespectful, the most like uh, mm. dismissive, the the rudest, the most like uncaring, unkind. And well, I remember when he mm-hmm. said that, the whole room kind of just like you could see people just like going kind of nodding, nodding their heads and going hmm <laughs> and then i was just like fu- fucking like clapping my hand going fuck yes <laughs> and like yeah. i like i completely agree with him but i also like y- you know how i've told you like my greatest conflict in my life is that the fact that i love men yeah so it's 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 hard like knowing that that the co- so that you know men For- cis men are yeah. tend to be the worst but also i only want to fuck them yeah, I, I totally agree because it's the world is Around basically them. built on yeah. the idea yeah. Yeah, of cis men. And the men. desires, That's their it, needs, you know, their like, formulations of what is great and exactly. what isn't great. I mean, we've been talking about so much stuff on feminism and mm. the more I read, the more I explore on this topic, you know, and understand the how fucked our world is, mm. particularly for women, and and now further on for marginalized people, we're talking about queer community as well. Right, like understanding of how the world has basically built on cis hetero sexual yeah. men, the desire and the, all the purpose, or like it's just built on on you know what yeah. they need basically. Because I'm reading mm. Invisible Woman now. Like the things I know before, it just expanded further by reading this book, you know, about not just the society, the household, you're talking about the infrastructure in the community, you're talking about the roads, the the transportation, the fucking roads. Yeah, the urban planning is all benefiting the fucking man. Every little tiny thing, this world is crazy, Um, crazily built through the narrow lens of the cis, usually white. Man, at least uh-huh. in the spaces yeah. that you and I, you know, like, like I'm ashamed to say that every probably like 99%. I'm ashamed to say that out of the 150 books that I've read in the last eight months, um, I'd say 140 of them were written by people who live in the West. Like, how fucked is that? How oh, fucked? Yes. And like 145 <laughs> of them were written in English. As in, like, non-translations. I never read enough translations. Which is, like, uh-huh. basically saying that I'm only going to listen to... It's almost like saying, I'm only going to read books written by people who live in Denver, Colorado. You know, like, that's how ludicrous mm. I feel like it is. The fact yeah. that I've only read writing written by people from the West. You're just narrowing mm. your perspective, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's what it is. That's all it is. Yeah. You need to change that behavior. I do need to change that. Yeah, I think that's that's what everyone should be doing. 
That's why we're pumping out kids with yeah, different types right. of books. Because, like, even though I read um, people yeah. of different, like, non-white background, like, I read um, Asian people, but those Asian people still grow up in the West, like, myself mm-hmm. included. Like, my book, I've written a book, but, like, I grew up, I've been in mm-hmm. Australia since I was four. Yeah. Like, I have a very Western lens. Yeah, that's why I think this year with the COVID lockdown, I've been picking up a lot more books that's written mm. by Asians, but it's been translated from the original language, like, for example, uh-huh. Korean and Japanese. I'm really, really yeah. enjoying reading that. I think you're, like, yeah. far more superior in your uh, literary morta- morality than I am. Yeah. Really? Way- mm. There's a lot of things that you read that I don't understand. You know? That's Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break and we're coming back with Helen's Mm -hmm. uh, cultural consumption for the week. Hey everyone, we're back. Um, So this week, I haven't watched a lot of stuff. I've been really, I'm just rotating with the three books. Which is uh, what? One of the book um, that I've just previously men- mentioned, The Invisible Woman. Written by? And written by Cara- Caroline Carrito Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I can't pronounce your name properly. I'm so bad at pronouncing names. Um, the other one's Coconut Children, which we've received ages ago by Vivian Fawn. Nice. And of course, uh, The Great flowing river um i've been just slowly pacing through these three books Mm. um i'm such a slow reader i feel like like i feel i usually read for like two or three pages and i have to go Mm. and listen to like 10 minutes of a podcast and then come back right and then within rotating these three books really keep my mind working because one of them is in chinese and I feel like I'm jumping in between languages. And I feel like it's so easy for me to read Chinese. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the age mm. or that I just don't have to constantly looking up um, dictionaries. Because yeah. there's still some words in English that I do not understand. Me too. Are you serious? Like, it just... the, 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 <laughs> I, I have like, I, that's me constantly. There are so many, mm-hmm. like, um, for instance, I was just on the phone with my agent just then and she said, some, she, uh-huh. she used the word pugilistic. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to look it up in the dictionary later. Oh, you didn't ask I didn't her? I because it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, why do we feel like that? Um, because English is our, our second language. Well, because I'm... Like, we constantly yeah. feel like it's it's a little embarrassing to ask, oh, what does that mean? Well, sometimes I ask, like, if I'm with my friends, I'll ask them. But in a professional context... Oh, it depends. The, yeah, yeah, I kind of want to kind of still obtain my dignity. Yeah, I just remember... <laughs> Yeah, I remember being in a job where my boss was a C-U-N-T and um, <laughs> I remember once asking him a word he used and I said, what does that mean? And then he gave me the, and he was English and he was like, oh he my gave me God, this look I can like, feel like how that, yeah, he uh-huh. gave me this look as though I was an, like uh, a fucking idiot and I'm not a oh fucking idiot. God. Um, and then later another colleague sh- pulled me aside and he was like, what did you just do? And I was like, what? He was like, you don't ever ask some, you don't ever ask someone what the meaning of that word is if you don't know. You just look it up yourself later. I was, I was like, what the fuck? That's a thing? And so since then, I haven't actually done that in a professional context because I was so shamed by this colleague. And I know I should Gosh. like not adhere to his shaming, but I feel like I just have because I don't know. 
I think it also depends on... Like, I love my agent. She's the best woman in the world. Um, But I don't mm. know. Yeah. I think this is the problem with when everyone's been put into the box of believing that you should have been asking. Yeah, I know. Well, I tend... You know, I, it's so bad. I know. I tend to not do that, but just this one thing, I guess I was like... It wasn't the only word she used. My agent also used another word that which mm. I forgot now, which I was like, <laughs> hmm, don't know what that word was. But it was relating to um, Christopher Hitchens. So my agent and I were talking about Chris Hitchens, um, which I'll talk about later. Mm. But I wanted to ask you, um, what did I want to ask you? I have to say that the fact that you can read Chinese to me is akin to you saying that you have a sixth or seventh sense, you know? I really think that you see the world in an infinitely more yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. light because you have like access to the brain of someone in another language. You're oh, so... I wouldn't say more interesting. It's just a different perspective, I guess. Yeah, which is what I want in my life. I want a million different perspectives. Because when you have when yeah when when you have a, you obtain a different language, you see a lot of things maybe on a slightly different angle. Like for example, there are languages that is very gender based. Mm. Russian, you know, and USA, yeah, and I think what um, Spanish. I think okay. Spanish is a bit gender based, mm. yeah. And you, you see a lot of things that it's in a different perspective, and it's also for me Chinese is easier to read, not because I understand more words in it, but because um, I can go back to the sentences. Maybe because it's my native language and I, I just grasp the, the grammatic structure easier. Right. Sometimes one of the English sentences I read it a couple of times and I still do not understand like what's the what what is the real point mm. of that mm. sentence. Is it talking about subject A or is it talking about subject right. B? Whereas in Chinese it to me it's a bit more straightforward. Right. And even though if I couldn't read a specific character, I can kind of dissect that character and kind of try to figure out what yeah. it means. Yeah. You know, for, from the radicals, if it's like, uh, if it's about like a plant or if it's like a person mm. or if it's about a feeling. Mm. Yeah. So interesting. For me, Chinese is like that. Yeah. I love that you have... Which is so funny because we moved to Australia when I was 11 years mm. old. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that I can still read Chinese. But like... But what are you talking about? Like 11, 11, 12, like you've had most of your life already set up for you. Yeah. I feel like that. That's yeah. True. Aren't the formative yeah. years zero to seven? Aren't those the so called yeah, formal formative years? <laughs> so called because white people decided that they were our formative years. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I just for like their freaking, language part, for the learning part. Yeah. I just freaking blame white people for everything. <laughs> JK, JK, okay, folks, JK. <laughs> um,. <laughs> I love that you have a rotating, like, rotating books three at a time. That I do that too, because like I I have like mm. four, five, six, seven thousand books at a time. Oh, you have I so just, many books. I at just once. dip in and out. So for instance, um, I was reading my favorite book in the world, um, Andrew Solomon's mm. Far from the Tree, yesterday mm-hmm. again, because that is just the most spectacularly written work of love. Um, I'm not going to talk about it because I'll probably do a whole podcast on it. Um, and then I was also reading, um, more t- I finished in one sitting last night, uh, Henry Kiss, not Henry Kissinger, what the fuck? <laughs> um, Christopher Hitchens, um, Mortality. Uh-huh. 
Um, mm-hmm. So Chris Hitchens died uh, in 2011. Uh, he was a fucking genius. I, besides his politics, you know, some of his politics, I think he was just... I really was so upset and I cried when he died because I just thought, what a waste of a life. Like, he still had at least two decades on him if he if he didn't get the cancer, which killed him. But the more mortality is the very slim book. It's basically a long essay where he talks about facing his death. And oh, um, I was talking wow. to my agent about it and she really loves mm-hmm. it. She really loves it. I didn't find it very resonating um, because it didn't make me cry. And the mm-hmm. way in which I judge a book is whether or not it makes me cry. Uh, and none okay. of it made me cry and I think I wanted cry, to cry cryability <laughs> yeah I wanted to cry because it's about death right and anything mm-hmm. about death is about the meaning of life and like I'm not saying it was badly written it just didn't make me cry and I guess it made mm-hmm. me think like do I reach for Christopher Hitchens to make me cry no like I reach for Christopher Hitchens to show me how to think really intellectually mm-hmm. and and so mm-hmm. you know it's okay that he didn't make me cry yeah yeah I think everyone's writing is very different and I can, like, I think books that makes me cry, I think the resonation is very important, but at the same time, you have to feel like whether or not that you are into the story. Mm. Like, for example, like we didn't grow up in the war time, Mm. but every time if I read a very well-written story about war, about Mm. separation of family, which we never experienced, Mm. you know, like I will cry mm. if it's really well written. Yeah. yeah. Like you know the great flowing river. <laughs> I keep constantly yeah. mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> On a lighter note, I have been reading um, Barbara Kinsolver's collection of poems called "How to Fly," and that I dip in and out of. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Yeah, fantastic. Before we take yeah. a break, anything last last minute things you wanted to mention, culture wise. Oh, I've started watching this really stupid, on a light, lighter note, like you said, a really stupid, silly and funny Japanese drama. And it's called Goku Shuku Michi. So basically it's translated to, my translation is Extreme Household, House Husband. Extreme, extreme house, 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 house oh, I husband. Want, I want an extreme house husband. <laughs> but I think exciting. the proper way of uh, translating it is the way of house husband. Anyway, there's a house husband in it. Okay. So the story is based on um, the protagonist is uh, like a like the ex gangster and he turned into a house husband. So <laughs> it's is so it, stupid and so is it, silly. Is it but animation? You, it was based on. It's based on a manga. It's based okay. on animation. Yeah, I love. But it's that. so stupid and so silly. You would never expect that a Western pop culture will make that kind of genre. Wait, so who made it? It's a Japanese drama. Yeah, but like, yeah. did the you mean what do you mean the West? Is it I showing think, on Netflix? Uh, I don't think it's on Netflix. It's just recently out in Japan. I was watching okay. it through Q Drama. Um, uh-huh. Uh, online, there's a website that you can watch right. the Asian dramas. Isn't that it interesting is... that um, housewife is such a normal term, right? But I've never mm-hmm. heard house husband. I've never heard that term. Oh, okay, never Seriously. really. Yeah, I, I wonder if it house... popped up. It popped up the last five years, become be more oh, popular. Okay. Yeah, right. I wonder if a house husband is good in bed. I guess he is, or at least mm-hmm. he's getting a lot of it, right? Because like, apparently there's <laughs> there's like studies made okay. by made by white people who said that um that like if you do a lot of housework as a guy you'll get more sex. Oh with your yeah, with your yeah, female partner. Uh-huh. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that kind of study. Which anyway, I have to say, uh, I like fall into like when when a partner like does a lot of housework, I'm like fucking come to bed. <laughs> yeah, of course, fuck you know, it just takes so much load of your mind. I love domest, I love yeah. domesticated men. I just love men who like doing stuff around the house. It's so good because it's so funny this drama that it started off with this guy that he just like dressed up as a usual gangster you know dark suits and sunglasses but he's in the kitchen and slicing <laughs> doing like little slicing motions cooking the breakfast and making so those cute. very cute like japanese bentos for his wife that is so adorable yeah. you know i can see hollywood appropriating this narrative and starring the rock <laughs> oh yeah. yeah exactly someone Massive and then... Yeah, masculine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's take a break. Take a break Uh and we'll come back. Helen, what are we going to talk about this week? Oh, we're going to talk about something. (laughs) Um, Cottage call. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, stick around and we'll see you soon. So we're back. And Helen, take us through exactly what Cottage Core is. Okay, so according to one of this website called Aesthetic Wiki, I didn't even know that it exists. There's a wiki for everything. Yeah, wiki for everything. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, for Star Wars and shits like that. Cottage Core is an aesthetic inspired by romanticized interpretation of Western agricultural life. It is centered on ideas around a more simple life in harmony with nature. Um, last week, we I briefly mentioned this trend. Mm. I don't know what else it's, you can call yeah, it. Yeah, it's a trend, yeah. It's An a trend, as- yeah. Aesthetic movement, yeah. Yeah. So it's somewhat like returning to basic life where you do farming, gardening, carpentry work, mm. cooking, baking, crafting, you know, essentially like laborer's work Yeah. that is um, generated into onto internet social media and you present uh, like a, a aesthetic images and the images must be pretty bright idealistic flurry you know very positive yeah. about it yeah like very floral when i'm yeah exactly when i'm plunging into this rabbit hole which i do every week for their research i think of the pastel colors bright sun yeah like wooden Knits, yeah, exactly. Lace, I don't know, lace skirts, dress. Yeah, and just also hunter of, boots. <laughs> yeah, just think of Warden's uh-huh. Pond, basically. I think it's pretty much like gentrified and romanticized the idea of the lifestyle that once may have considered as like low rudimentary lifestyle by yeah, the urbanized and metropolitan citizens. That's that's actually, how I feel. Yeah, everything you're saying reminds me of a book that I also started reading this week. Um, rereading. Mm-hmm. For the second or third time, I forget. It's um, Joni O'Dell's How to Do Nothing, which uh-huh. is one of the most important books I've read in the last year. And she talks about in the second chapter about um, communal living and how, like, mm-hmm. um, in the 60s and 70s, um, a lot of people in the States um, were kind of rejecting the whole post-Nixon era, um, or is it post-Reagan? Anyway, post-someone, mm-hmm. Nixon, mm-hmm. Reagan. Um, after the war, there was, like, uh, during that time, a lot of shit was going on in America and a lot of people decided to take themselves away from all that capitalist mm-hmm. culture yeah, yeah. and like live in communes and um, plant their own vegetables and 
mm-hmm. uh, make their own everything basically. And yeah. this kind of reminds me of that, mm-hmm. like life stripped back. And in inner- invariably, all these most of these people were white. Yeah, I think the trend. What I've been looking up from, like what I've read online, is that the trend started in twenty seventeen or. Like the, just the past few years, and kind of yep. become more popular because of the COVID. Like everyone's in yeah. lockdown situation, mm. and you basically can't do anything. You can't go to a restaurant. You go, can't go to a pub. You can't go clubbing. And the, there's a lot of social events that urbanized people do that cannot do anymore with the lockdown. So mm. everyone start to follow this kind of trend. And considering that, oh, it's good for nature because we're environmentalists as well. We start uh, growing our own vegetables. You start doing more crafty stuff around the house. Yeah, I know. Like I'm what guilty of that as well. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you're stuck what I don't get is that why they have to broadcast it. Like yeah, if you're growing exactly. your own plants and vegetables and if you're like putting your five-month-old baby in like um, the latest – um, ethically sustained silk cotton. pajamas or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> cotton. Um, why do you have to broadcast it? Mm. You know, I don't give a shit what your baby wears. I think it's anyway. just like a like a sense of like you need to expose yourself. Oh, it's virtue be... signaling. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. You know, when I first look at those images, there's a there's a music came into my mind. Yeah, I just that? looked up on YouTube and I just gonna play it. Yeah. Can you hear that? No, you got to bring him up more to the mic. <laughs> you cannot hear. Okay. <laughs> that is Pierre Grit. Uh, that is Benjamin. Benjamin. That's uh, the Peter and Rab. Uh, Peter. Peter, and, yeah. Peter and the Wolf. <laughs> yeah, Peter and the Wolf by I mean. Benjamin Britten, right? Um, Prokofiev, isn't it? Oh, really? God, yeah. that is so embarrassing. It's Scrap just, that. It, it pretend really... I said. <laughs> pretend I said Prokofiev. <laughs> This just came into my mind with this happy, yeah, go luck, and everyone's yeah, jumping across the life. <laughs> exactly. There are bunnies that are jumping across, yeah. like yeah, giving each other hugs. Yeah, I think one of the best representation of cottage core image that come into my mind as well is the Studio Ghibli's animations. Like for oh, example, yeah. Totoro. Like there, yeah. everyone's out in the rural area, countryside. Yeah, and full of nature. Yeah, and where mosquitoes don't exist. Yeah, yeah. And it's bugs just the positive are not actually, images. Yeah. Everything is beautiful and, yeah. yeah. It's so interesting that this movement, like you said, um, really became massive during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, it makes me think that, like, the New York Times published a piece in March about Cottage Core, calling it mm-hmm. a budding aesthetic movement and mm-hmm. how it went from budding to, like, full-on blooming. And it made me think about how interesting that movement's like this were really expanded thanks to a global circumstance that nobody exactly yes yes i found that really interesting and yeah and like it's it's kind of like all these when i think about all these activities that are cottage core sourdough making focaccia making (laughs) colorful vegetables planting summer gardens in the backyard engaging in grandma inspired craft projects like knitting and embroidery all these things just make me think of fucking inner west of sydney hipster like i remember just uh, in my in my very loose social circle maybe five years ago there was a a friend a group of friends i have like a million different social groups right and Mm -hmm. one of them um was one of them was through one of my good friends and she had this bunch of friends who, like, we went to, 
Watson's Bay, I believe. And one day, one of her friends was like, started knitting, just taking out her knitting on the beach. Uh-huh. And then, like, I, I was like, oh, knitting's now a thing. And like, she also makes her own kombucha and everything like that. And oh, wow. It was just, it kind of made me just kind of throw up in my mouth <laughs> because I, like, I was just like, oh, these fucking bunch of white people doing <clears throat> these things that are so, like, supposedly of a bygone era, which, like, it, I think the whole aesthetic of the white liberal, like American white liberal hipster mm-hmm. movement, what, to me, what really I find infuriating and insulting about it is because it harks back to an aesthetic during a time mid-century mm-hmm. where like people like me didn't exist, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what really infuriates me. And it also infuriates me, like, I hate myself for for loving that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like, There's you know, I go around saying... hate relationship. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, not that, it's not that simple to say that. It's, it's like, I hate... I don't hate it. I hate myself for ha- loving it. Like, I often go around saying I fucking hate hipsters, and yet people see me and they're like, uh, Jesse, you're a you're hipster. hipster too. Yeah. Yeah, and I am! Like, you, you, what, you look at the way I dress, and like, I ride a fucking bike. Yeah. Like, and that is the most hipster bike in the mm-hmm. world. Like, how about I'll take a picture and we'll put it on our Instagram page yeah. so yeah. people can see the kind of fucking hipster bike that I own. You're hipster in denial. <laughs> I know, I live in fucking Redfern. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's like uh-huh. a escapism, you know, like and how like, how this trend of aesthetic is affecting our mental health. I don't know. Is it real? Is it just like temporary oh. pleasure of those images that helps us to relax, but not really seeing the problem? You know, I everyone's posting a, yeah. on like Instagram yeah. or TikTok now. And um, yeah, I think it's aspirational. Like mm-hmm. for me, it looks like when you, whenever people who are posting images of themselves doing really cutesy, kitschy stuff like this, it speaks to me. The way that what it indicates to me is that they aspire to be seen as a sort mm-hmm. of person, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how we now, in this digital era, which I hate, um, we have now had to capitalize on like making ourselves brands and mm-hmm. like we have to broadcast the fact that oh this is what i stand for this is my values these are yeah. my values like i'd rather spend two hours of my day to make sourdough in the kitchen than go out and spend ten dollars at like brickfields and buy brickfields like, a, a sourdough <laughs> loaf you know the fucking hipster cafe yeah. oh my god actually yeah i don't i think the last time i brought bread was like maybe a wildflower or wild cockatoo, which is like a bakery in Redfern, mm-hmm. and it was like ten dollars or something. Um, but yeah, I am like someone who values time over money, and so I will go out to buy bread and like spend two spend those two hours mm-hmm. that I could have been baking, writing or reading, because that's what I value. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess everyone's value on their time is different, but yeah, you can always. Definitely. I'm. I'm. I, I've. I'm sure that there will be people that went out to like uh, those artists. What do you call that? Artist, artisan? Yeah. Artisan, artisan, uh, artisan yeah, exactly. bakeries and pretend that they baked oh themselves yeah. and posted. For those of you in Sydney, Cornerfields, oh, uh, Cornersmith is like Cornersmith is like the epitome of what Helen and I are talking about when it comes to like cottage core yeah. aesthetic and like consumption of uh-huh. food. They have their yeah pickering, pickering classes around oh there. God cafe yeah. yeah and like everyone yeah. who goes to corner smith is white i'm only ever the asian the only mm-hmm. asian or person of color who goes to corner smith you know how much they charge for a pickering class it's yeah, like it's hun- fucking it's, 150 dollars yeah, who's got the money to do that white people 
<laughs> okay. well, you so know, the problem what we've seen. Oh, before, apart be, from, yeah, okay, before, before you where start, we uh-huh. like launch, d- dive into the lake of like racism that is <laughs> cottage core. Um, the the epitome of like what infuriates me is um, this Instagram influencer slash famous chef. Uh, I'm not going to call her chef, but that's what people call her in America. She her name is Molly Molly Yeh, mm. spelled Y E. Y-E-H. So she, her dad is Chinese. Her mother is Jewish. No, the other way around. Her dad is Chinese. I just said yeah, that. Yeah, you just said her dad's Chinese. <laughs> her mother is Jewish. And she, so her story is really interesting. So um, I got into her a few years ago when I was a vegan and I was following like a lot of vegan blogs. She's not vegan, by mm-hmm. the way, but I was really into the whole like space of wellness and all mm-hmm. those, you know, predominantly white yeah white spaces um and she's very good looking as well like she's gorgeous and all these influencers are gorgeous like ella woodward is another one they have to be deliciously ella she's like a model yeah all of these women are like models um and you know they kind of bank on the whole aesthetic um if you just think of with ruth witherspoon and gwyneth paltrow and um jessica alba they've come out in the last few years with cookbooks and so, oh, like, have they? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, I feel How like, much money do they need? I feel like, goodness. I know, that's my response every time I see like a celebrity <laughs> coming out with a book. I'm like, Jesus, we don't need to listen to you. Anyway, um, so Molly Ye, um has a really interesting story. She um, went to Juilliard as a percussion player. So okay. obviously she's talented. There she mm-hmm. met her white husband. I think he's Jewish or white. Anyway, he grew up in a farm in like the Midwest of America and um, and so she didn't end up becoming a professional musician. She ended up becoming like an online food blog person. And she mm-hmm. started posting image of, images of her recipe and herself. And then it became this massive thing. And now mm-hmm. she has like um, 622,000 followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like monumental. Um, and she has like her own show on the Food Network. And she's the author of two cookbooks. Anyway, I hate her because um, she has the most annoying smile. Like, she has a very generic, <laughs> like, generic smile that just is, like, cardboard paste on. And she has this very agrarian um, aesthetic about her. So if you pop on, we'll, we'll attach, we'll link her Instagram post um, uh, page onto our show notes. But if you have a look, she, like, bakes cookies and um, kind of, like, shows pictures of her and her perfect family she has like a baby daughter now um mm-hmm. and everything is just very cutesy and like very like a lot of her, that's you hate that's what you hate a lot that's of that's what you dislike <laughs> i think i hate yeah i don't know why i, I there's nothing it doesn't look genuine to uh, you or nothing do you think nefarious just... about what she does but uh-huh. i don't know just something about that aesthetic that irritates me because it's so how I channel. It's just so showy. It's like I have uh-huh. the perfect life. Um, my life is a confetti party. Yeah, but every that's exactly day. what the influencers have to do. You know, like you said, that they need to be aspirational. I'm yeah, not saying I, like, I totally agree with you, but I think on their on their side, I like at the same time, I feel like we're gonna start getting hate mails from the fans. Fuck person. it, bring it on, man. I like <laughs> the, bring it on. Like the number of hate mails we get is the number of like. The, popularity that, yeah exactly <laughs> or no no not popularity because i don't seek to be popular but like i'm not doing anything useful in the world if i don't have haters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i do understand what you're saying because 
um, with social media, I think this is probably derailing what we're going to be talking about today with Cottage Call. But I think social media have put a lot of people um, to present themselves in towards the whole globe. And that kind of, I don't know if it's a positive thing or it's a negative thing because I still couldn't figure it out. I mean, there's celebrities been bullied. Well, they so-called themselves that they've been bullied by people who don't like them. Mm. And there's also what we're talking about, like cancel culture, which I don't believe in cancel culture because fuck yeah. the, the people who get who consider they've been cancelled is fucking popular people. They will never been cancelled, okay? Mm. They're never been there. They will never be cancelled. But I can understand from your point of view about this kind of influencers who are just perpetuating the idea of very traditional conservative family. Yeah, exactly. Um, like mid-century. Image. Yeah. Yeah, image and kind of continue to push a lot of women towards that direction. Yeah, like that, I like, mean, as though that is like true happiness, you know, to belong in, in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to see more women, like if you want to be showy, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, if she's, that's her choice, that's fine. But I think we need to put in our focus more on the woman that is in the industry that has been predominantly male. Like I want to see more um influences that like i don't know astronauts or they're in uh, engineering and make yeah. it more hip i don't know yeah. i don't know if that's a word or make it more popular for the girls yeah. to follow exactly yeah. because you're putting you're essentially putting the image that our mom or even in the 50s our mom or grandparents that taught yeah. the girls to do yeah exactly yeah that's exactly you've you've explained and described exactly why i hate molly a because like she like if you look through her Instagram page, it's like flipping through a magazine in the nineteen forties about how to be a good wife. Woman's it's Weekly. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it's like. I'm like scrolling through her page right now, and every single picture is like the ideal, homely, perfect agrarian family in the West, mm, mm. and that's what really infuriates me. Because I'm like, how are you making the world a better place? Like, okay, yeah, sure, you're making people happy with your like colorful recipes, but it's like, I don't want like if I had a daughter, I don't want my daughter growing up wanting to do what Molly A does. What the fuck is she doing in the world? Well, she's making herself happy at least. <laughs> well, I think she's also making a lot of simple people happy. Let's just leave it mm. at that. And I'm obviously mm-hmm. a snob by saying that because well, what's wrong with people who are making other people happy? There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I'm just being a bitch right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. And there's nothing wrong with being a bitch. <laughs> True. Thank you for that. Um, so I want to point it on to the, the, um, the subject of sexism with Cottage Call. Oh, like, are we going to talk about sexism before yeah, racism? Okay, yeah. let's do that. Um, Go. I think with COVID lockdown, the impact with, I've just mentioned, you know, the convenience is reduced and individuals are confronted to readjusted live so we're going to do a lot of cooking baking gardening all yeah. the shit that we just yeah. mentioned i mean i feel like a lot of female friends like i'm guilty of this because we are pushed into the situation that we have to do a lot of things ourselves yeah but then turn into those kind of things as, as an aesthetic um image i think it's pretty like you're trying to glorify or gentrify a certain task yeah you know yeah like i was talking to my husband the other day saying that you know we're talking about cottage core and he was asking what is it and i explained it to mm. him 
he goes, oh, that's such a bullshit trend because fucking farm labor work is so tiring. Why yeah, do you actually make it? The reality of yeah, the reality because you grow up in a farm, harsh, you know, and he yeah. hated, he hated. Like he, he doesn't like doing those farm works and it's yeah. all dirty. It's never going to be that pretty image on the in- Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I you love know? that you said that. Because, yeah, your husband grew up on a farm. Yeah, yeah. And so exactly. did our mother. Our uh-huh. mother yeah. grew up on a farm and she was 16 when she left the uh-huh. farm. And, and she always remember. talks about yeah. how laborious, laborious it was. Yeah, and dirty. I think that's, yeah, probably, that's yeah. probably, you know, one of the aspects that turned into her as an OCD of keeping clean all the time because yeah. I think she remembered, I remember that she mentioned that when she was helping to... Um, like the female pigs were given labors and she was yeah. had to literally sleeping next to the pig <laughs> overnight and waiting wow. for the the piglets to be born so that's so cool it's not it's not like all oh, those beautiful pretty images that you see on Instagram i think yeah i think just discuss, just talking about what we've been talking about in the last 10 minutes you've really helped me come to a point where i can make a very grand conclusion about what I hate about this world and what I hate is anything <laughs> that masks reality and mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. influences and anything people exactly. who go online and make something beautiful like um, show a very beautiful cute picture of something they're masking something and I just don't find that beautiful I don't find any beauty in mm-hmm. the aesthetic trends where you're capitalizing on this very narrow idea of what is beautiful Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's I hard work fucking COVID you know you have your it's everyone's just, yeah, lockdown it's, yeah uh, just this movement this movement is so based on um, a very cosmetic sense of what is beautiful mm-hmm. and like anything cosmetic is nefarious I think anything cosmetic is like has an undertone of nefariousness to it or like just like fakeness is there a better mm-hmm. word than fakeness i just don't Dis- i don't like fake Dis- things disingenuous, disingenuous. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah i think um with like i with sexism on mm. cottage call like i just remember that um there's a group on facebook called <laughs> subtle asian baking mm. and i would i can confidently say that at least 80 percent of the members are female yeah, like I'm, I'm one guilty of you know joining yeah. that that group, but I literally don't see any man. Like, I think I can only remember seeing one man, and he looks he looks like gay. You know? Yeah, yeah. So tell me why, like, if you're a male listener, like, do you like baking? And if you do, like, do you do it as a career, or do you do it as a for an aesthetic as a, yeah. purpose? Yeah, and also, do you broadcast the fact that you're baking? Hmm. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like a very a heteronormative masculine thing to broadcast you know like you can say i love cooking and men, women tend to say like oh yeah i love a guy who cooks but like what about baking like mm-hmm. why has baking become such a feminine pastime i think guys only do it for their career you see a lot of bakers in the stores yeah that, famous um, bakers yeah, yeah fucking you know west hipsters yeah. yeah, guys, they do it they only do it for if they pay people paying also, for them they don't yeah. do it for the yeah. home like yeah, exactly. dad <laughs> yeah and can I just say also, when they do bake, they invariably always bake bread. They don't bake a cake. Like, what mm. is so feminine about a fucking cake? Mm. You know? Why can't guys like baking cakes? Mm-hmm. Why is that so emasculating? It's so funny and so strange as well. I yeah, mean, I we've, seen, we've seen a lot of, we've seen a couple of the male patisseries. 
Oh, Adriano Zumbo was massive. Yeah. Is he gay? Don't know. I always thought I don't, he I don't was. Think so. Okay. Also, why? Where is he? Is he like still alive? <laughs> yeah, he, he was, is. He he's, was so big there was in like just such a peak in the two thousands and yeah, kind of like where like his decline. Ca- like, in... Yeah, his cafe and his like bakery place in Balmain or Roselle it was massive. Was always packed. Was always packed. Yeah. yeah. Also, he was like very frequently featured on MasterChef. Mm-hmm. Back when MasterChef was cool. <laughs> now it's not. <laughs> um, but I wanted to say, yeah, if you look through all the Cottagecore inspired um, photos that you see online, you see like 1% of them, including a man. Like all of them are women. Yes. Yeah. So all the women are there to be pretty as an objective, you know, as an object to be pretty. But at the same time, I, I believe that a lot of women that has been, you know, will be doing those laborers' work as well. Like, you don't see yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so should we move on to the aspects of racism on Cottage yeah, Core? So, yeah, let's go, Jess. Um, there are, obviously, like, a huge, this huge underscore of what we haven't yet talked about, which is that most of this um, aesthetic movement has been built and based around white people. So, like, the traditional definitions of Cottage Core referred really exclusively as like a white colonial era European Mm -hmm. aesthetic. Like you see endless images of slim white women. And, you know, I have to say you never see any fat people also. Mm -hmm. Like every, every body is like every body um, is a thin body. Um, like a white woman holding wicker baskets filled with like fresh (laughs) farm eggs and like linen towels wrapped around freshly baked bread. Um, I mean, it's, like, problematic because it's overly nostalgic. It's yearning for, you know, a bygone era when, let's be honest, life was not so rosy-coloured. Um, life has never been rosy-coloured, you know, mm-hmm. for for most of the world, I'd say. Um, you know, and it's it's a time where a lot of people were oppressed. Exactly. Where, like, they don't get to people... speak about cottage coal. Yeah, like, so. when black people um, were systemically killed in the States... Um, where, you know, in Australia, Aboriginal people didn't have the vote. Mm-hmm. We were not even, you know, and you and I, uh, with our Asian faces, we were not even allowed to come into Australia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just like, it really makes me feel uncomfortable that w- the way in which we monitor the world is through these images that really speak very violently to people like you and me and black bodies mm-hmm. and disabled bodies and queer bodies and transgender bodies or anyone who just doesn't fit a slim white body is mm-hmm. like very othered. Yeah, it's extremely othered. I think um, it's also perpetuating the idea of, you know, moving towards that, like making the trend more popular, like excluding anyone else that doesn't fit into that trend or mm. that was not doesn't exist during that period of time, you know, in a Western, in a Western nation. Exactly. Yeah. Times when we were invisible, basically. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we are pretty much still invisible now, yeah. but yeah. We, we, it's getting better. But back in yeah. that time, you know, we're talking about black people being enslaved and the lands are being taken away from indigenous people. Um, yeah. Here, I'm going to quote from a piece that's written by Claire Olivin. Um, this is the piece that's from the weekly student newspaper from the University of New South uh, of Sydney. Sorry, she said that a common critic- criticism of cottage core not only as an aesthetic 
but as a practice that is people's attempt to live out the fantasy are connected to the legacy of homestaying and farming yeah. on stolen indigenous land. Exactly. In the United States, the Homestay Act accelerated colonial expansion by providing an incentive for mostly white settlers to populate what was considered a large empty space. Almost 10% of that total area of US was given away by the government for free, which mm. lead to the coercion and forced displacement of indigenous people yep. on their land and onto reservations. So... Yeah, I know. Massive, massive genocide massive, yeah. of Native Americans. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, this trend is, if you don't look inside and you don't think about it, you're pretty much promoting... Like, I don't want to be overly political correct, but I, I think people need to start thinking about the trend that they're following is kind of... What that indicates. What that indicates, what, what, yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a potential trigger for trauma for people who have experienced exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I think people need to be more aware about the way in which what they do with their bodies and the way that they carry themselves through mm -hmm. the world, how that impacts, how, what, how that can communicate messages that they're actually not aware about. Mm -hmm. Like I know a lot of hipsters who are well-meaning, you know, mm -hmm. um, sure there are heaps of like white, white hipsters who live in the inner west of Sydney um, and they think that they're not committing a crime. And sure, I understand that, you know, they're, they're, um, they're sort of, innocent in the sense mm -hmm. that they don't read a lot on like race you know critical race theory mm -hmm. so you know if they are say like watching going to watch a this is just a really loose example like going to watch a um um what's that dude's name who made kill bill uh quentin tarantino, yeah. quentin tarantino uh -huh. film like so, yeah like what what exactly does that say about you if you go and watch a quentin tarantino film because like quentin tarantino is deeply mm -hmm. problematic mm -hmm. i just think that um a lot of people are well-meaning but what I, what i want to push out is the sense that um as a white person um you have powers that are connected to your body and your history that um, are so far beyond your own existence, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, white people don't mm -hmm. really tend to think about this because um, whiteness is inherently narcissistic. And, like, sure, I don't blame white people because, you know, they were born with that. But um, <laughs> someone who lives in a white body, um, I don't blame them for that, but I also don't forgive them. As in, like, um, my threshold differs through different people. But what I mean is, like, um, they can afford to be oblivious, is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Whereas, like, if you don't live in a white body, a cis white body, um, you, it, it, you really pay the cost of oblivion. Like, if you're not aware about mm -hmm. how you impact um, other people through whatever you do or, like, the ways in which you behave in your everyday life. Like, uh, this idea of obliviousness, like, that white people can get away with is something that I really have been thinking a lot about lately and wanting to know how I can compassionately open up that conversation and that space to mm -hmm. talk about it with a white person who's willing to face those very grey areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think opening to talk about it is very important. Like from what I see of this trend, it makes me think about it's kind of like positive toxicity. It's like making everything pretty and try to forget 
what's what harm to be do- what harm has done in the past. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Which is really yeah. bad. And I feel like that positive, positive toxicity is very, mm-hmm. very white. Because mm, white people can mm. get away with it. This is like, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. You're exactly. not punished. You're not punished for exuding mm-hmm, that mm. attitude. But I, I don't even want to get like you don't need to be punished. You just need to acknowledge and you know understand the history and the real indication behind it. Anyway, um, on the other note, yeah, exactly. When I was looking at the cottage call trend, it re- actually reminded me one of the really mm. popular Chinese YouTuber. Um, Li Zhiqi kind of connected mm-hmm. me with um, this idea of cottage core, but at the same time, she's not like she's in China. She's not doing all this thing in a, like a settlerless land. Right, she raised her fans through mm. videos of sharing her rural lifestyle. Um, so her background is that right. she Li Zhiqi was mistreated by her stepmother during her childhood and was sent to stay with her grandparents in the rural area of Sichuan. Upon finishing school, uh, Li traveled to city and worked like many other young people in the in China. Um, she returned to countryside where her grandmother resides and to be close to her grandmother. So she returned to Sichuan rural area and picked up the lifestyle as an adult. She began to recall her life and post on YouTube when she realized much of the metropolitan children does not know where their food comes from and have very little knowledge about farm life. Mm. Her video shows how she plants and grows food from scratch, cooking, baking, pickering, vegetables, uh, even making wine and making her own clothes, and also building furniture with bamboo. Um, this is all, this is all like in video. <laughs> there's no still min- I- images. Like, there's a couple, but there's very few. Right. All the activities are done by herself. She does not speak in the video. The only conversation mm. you could faintly wow. hear is probably... Um, Lee speaking to her grandmother in a li- local dialect. The earliest videos were recorded by herself. Uh, they were doubts and questions and also mysteries surrounding her work. A lot of people does not believe mm. that she recorded and do all the laborious work by herself because she's like a tiny by <laughs> Asian like yeah woman. Um, yeah, and then since then she actually came out publicly saying that oh she is the person who really loves learning, so she enjoys learning new things, and she wants to share her skill to the world, and to encourage other people to do it. Yeah, um, she would actually go to like the trade masters to request them to teach her the skills. So she doesn't do it for the aesthetic right. purpose. She really get down. Yeah. Yeah. Once actually the process, the per- process so she's, she she can make the authentic yeah. beef noodle and crafting her own various like, her own styles of clothes. Um yeah. But the thing is that I don't know if it's a positive or negative aspect like even with the authenticity of her work, you know, the mm. establishment that she built cannot escape capitalism now <laughs> because uh yeah, what's happening? She has an official website that sells Chinese food and condiments as well as kitchen utensils. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. her name on with it. Her name yeah, on it. exactly. Her face on it, it says inspired yeah. by her rural lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the video, yeah. you really feel well, like there's a tranquility with it. It's yeah, so and a nice. Genuine, genuine. Yeah, tone. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she's not doing it just for aesthetic purposes. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can eventually see the aesthetic purposes, but I think it's just so genuine of the things that she does. I think there was one video that she shared 
of her injury herself while she's climbing uh, the hills to yeah. like co- collect the herbs and yeah. the time that she was building the furniture that she hurt her fingers and things like yeah. that. Yeah. But even with those images, that she still gets so many criticized. For example, like um, media asking her, oh, she's almost 30. Why isn't she married? What What is her ideal uh, life partner? Or there the will be cares? There will be like criticisms, for example, like um, why is she... Like people just judge, especially for an Asian woman. Like they judge her for uh, the way that she working in the dirt or with mm. the dirt or, oh, look at her muscly arms, you know. That's not very feminine. It's like, what fucking f- hell. Yeah, it's so wow. many criticism coming out wow. just because that she became popular. Yeah. Right. It must be hard to be a woman in China. It's just that was hard literally to be the a woman. thing I've ever said. Yeah. Someone, someone like put that on a plaque. Like and yeah. quote Jesse too. It must be hard to be a woman in China. It is hard. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't make light of it. It's actually like really fucked up shit happens there. Um, but I love yeah, her but, attitude. Yeah, she just yeah, doesn't I'll, care what other people think. Yeah, good, good. Um, so we'll definitely link a, a couple of her videos onto mm-hmm. our show notes so that yeah. listeners. You don't can have, have to understand look. Chinese because she doesn't yeah. speak much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that you brought her in, Helen, in our conversation about cottage core about someone who has you know kind of planted a different slant on this whole Mm -hmm. aesthetic but like done it in a way that doesn't make you and I angry Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been thinking what you said about five minutes ago about um, how invariably when someone becomes popular they have to bank on it and you Mm -hmm. know they start selling things or whatever yeah uh, yeah it kind of reminded me of my deep conversations with a couple of friends about Gia Tolentino Mm -hmm. and how like I fucking love her I think she's a genius um Mm -hmm. There was one point in my life where I wanted to be her. Um, <laughs> that's now past. But um, Gia Tolentino is a New York staff writer. She's like um, Filipino. Um, sh- she is a daughter of Filipino immigrants. Mm-hmm. So she's like, um, she's Asian presenting, but like everything about her is very American. Mm. And she often like her essays are works of art. I read her. I've read her essays in mm-hmm. Trick Mirror about 4,000 million times. And she often talks about how, like, she criticizes virtue signaling. She criticizes the way, you know, influences blank on their, you know, brand. They brand themselves. And yet, like, if you look at Gia Tolentino's Instagram page, like, she often shows, she often posts um, images of her ludicrously good-looking partner who's, like, a (laughs) lumberjack. Like, he looks Uh like a lumberjack with, like, a fucking beard. And, like, he's just so, he looks like a cottage core catalog model (laughs) and she's also very attractive and um something that my friend often tells me is like it's so easy for someone like Gia Tolentino to write against this sort of these sort of trends when she Mm -hmm. when she she's able to access those trends because like she's not fat she's not like not pleasing to look at like everything like her life is also magical Mm -hmm. and so like even though she criticizes a certain cohort in society she's like part of the group that benefits from what she's criticizing yeah so I, yeah. yeah so i think that's a really interesting kind of like thing that i've been thinking about because you know if if say like if um elon musk tomorrow came and told me to do something for a lot of money i would probably do it yeah because you know even though there, I criticize... we need the money everyone needs the money it's this well, all just, fucking capitalist world yeah i feel like like that's I that's often... what happened with us because we've got ads now <laughs> yeah exactly we, See, need, we need totally, to survive yeah we're totally like 
frauds as well, right? <laughs> Not frauds, but like we're hypocrites. <laughs> yeah, everyone's hypocrite. We're yeah. just pointing it out as well, you know. Yeah. Like we, we still need. We you need money to su- to survive. Yeah. That's that's a bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you want to mention before that we go to our ending? Um, it's been such a really interesting conversation. Uh, mm. You really made me realize why, like, I I'm so. It really infuriates me. Um, this just whole online aesthetic of like erasing real life realities, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really important that every single person who's listening to us right now go out and buy Jenny O'Dell's How to Do Nothing. <laughs> uh, like and I don't usually spurt, you know, books to read, especially when the books are like on like President um Barack Obama's top ten list of books to read from twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. I believe Jenny O'Dell's book was up there, along with mm-hmm. Trick Mirror. Um I couldn't give a shit what Barack Obama reads. Could not give a mm. shit, um, mm. but but Jenny O'Dell's book is really just so important in um, resisting the attention economy, like mm-hmm. learning to get offline and really being present in the world around you. Yeah, like I, mindfulness. I hate, yeah, just. But that's a, such a white thing again. <laughs> Being mindfulness. Yeah. Mindfulness. I feel like we can just talk about whiteness forever. Yeah, it's so much. But also, like about. I'm oft, I'm often like aware that. I don't want to pay attention just to whiteness as well. Like, but you I read so much. It, but yeah, you read, you criticize it, but you read so much. But, and yet I, yeah, it's work. just like I, exactly. <laughs> it's the same uh, dilemma that I have in criticizing white men and yet I also fuck white men. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like, get your yeah. politics straight, Jess. We're all in denial. We're all hypocrites. That's a humanity. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, before we go, uh, I want to mention our listeners who have support us through the ACAR support system. Uh, Lan, I, I suppose it's a Chinese name. Lan had supposed to, uh, supported our show and left a message saying that uh, thanks for helping me see something with a different perspective than my own. Yeah, so she supported us and we can get some coffees. Um, we really appreciate listeners sending us uh, messages and we join in sharing our ideas and opening up conversations like we did today. And also, uh, Justine, a young musician that shared our pod on her Instagram. Oh my gosh, she's such a brilliant singer. Oh yeah? Yeah, cool. I'll show, show her to you. She's, she's so good. Yeah, honestly. What's her full name? Um, the, her, her account name is Justine Angel. Yeah, that's why I remember. Okay. I don't have it in mm-hmm. front of me. Yeah. Um, I just feel like our listeners are so clever, you know? Like, yeah. so intelligent and so talented. <laughs> well, you know, like attract like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we need uh, sponsors, you know, like we said, a capitalism world, unfortunately. Um, we are really getting a high volume of listeners since we've been featured on Apple Podcasts last week. So if you're a small business, entrepreneur, innovators, whatever, you want us to give us, uh, to give you a shout out, try your products and, you know, give you all an honest opinion. Definitely honest. We know that how honest Jess is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to lie. Um, email us. Uh, we love supporting small business. I mean, what kind of products would you like to give a shout out, Jess? Oh, um, I want to shout out authors. Oh, yeah. Books. I want to read people's books. Yeah. Yeah, but you're already getting so many, so many books. Yeah, but I yeah. still like, I read like a book a day. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I 
don't know how to end from there. I was just going to talk about some products I want to try. But anyway, so once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts. We're now on Acast. Please give us a rating, review and share our podcast to your friends. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We'll welcome discussions and feedbacks. So we'll chat to you next week. Anything else? No, um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to a weekend away from Sydney. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the weekend. I want to go to the beach. Mm, yeah, it's so wide of us. I know. I want I'm to also go to Yamcha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.